right, so this is a season-long study on Jesus in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and this becomes important because I want to confirm to you that there is one Bible. There's not two Bibles. There's not an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's one unified Bible. Uh, and it's important to understand that. And so Jesus absolutely believed in the validity of the Old Testament. It was the only scripture available uh, for, the, for him and the disciples at that time. And so really, as you begin to study this, one of the things that you see early on is that God made a covenant with Abraham, the old covenant, uh, and that God would uh, basically bring the Jewish people through Abraham. Uh, and when he did that, he also created what we call the Old Covenant, meaning that he would give him laws, prescriptions, how to live. Uh, and he did that with the Ten Commandments. And so the Old Covenant is fundamentally predicated on the law. Uh, and so the, the question becomes, if the law is good, as it is, if it's perfect, as it is, uh, why could it not have been enough to bring man to salvation. Why did there have to be a new covenant? <clears throat> well, because almost immediately after God gave the law, it was clear that man violated the law. Man could never live up to the law. Man would never be uh, the kind of people that would live a validated life uh, to the law. Uh, and honestly, as I've studied this uh, and, and prepared a series of sermons on this for my church, one of the things that I saw that I'm, I have a sermon I'm preparing on the mistakes of Abraham. The mistakes of Abraham? Are you kidding me? The patriarch, the father of the Jewish people, effectively the beginning of the lineage of Jesus Christ? Mistakes? Oh, he made some buttes. He made some buttes, Okay. You know, he lied uh, when he went into Egypt ab about his wife, Sarah, said she was his sister. Uh, and then, you know, Pharaoh took her as his wife. Uh, and then there was all kinds of problems. Well, if that weren't enough, about 25 years later, he did it again uh, with the Philistine king. He lied again uh, about Sarah. Uh, and, and you see this. Uh, several times he moves on. He goes places without asking God. Uh, how about when, when God promised him an heir and it wasn't coming fast enough? No problem. I can take care of that. He takes Hagar, uh, his uh, wife's maid, and marries her and impregnates her, and Ishmael comes about. And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nation. You think that was a mistake? All right. Uh, all right. They're still paying for some of those mistakes. So here it is. You see a guy as great as Abraham, yet makes mistakes. So if people like Abraham make mistakes, how much more are we? And so basically, you come to the conclusion that we could never live by the law. And the moment that God gave us the law, God knew you couldn't live by the law. And so if God knew that you couldn't live by the law, why would he give you the law? Well, he gave you the law because he wanted you to say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. I need a savior. Uh, that's what he wanted you to say. Uh, and unfortunately, the Jewish people never said that, all right? <clears throat> but through the grace of God, we say that, and that's how Jesus came about. Uh, and so Paul explains the impossibility of the law to save people 
and to give life in Galatians 3, verse 21. It says there, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Well, righteousness is not by the law. Righteousness is, is given to you by Jesus Christ. The law is given to you to show you how imperfect you are, how far from perfection you are. And so the new covenant, you see, changes us, empowers us, and causes us to live more righteously. Uh, and so we've learned that. We learn that by studying the Old Testament. Now, the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, fulfills the other covenants in salvation history. It fulfills them all. It restores and completes the covenant God made with the house of David because Jesus is in the line of David and will assume for eternity that throne. He also fulfills the Adamic covenant, uh, which failed through the first man, Adam. Well, Jesus now becomes the second man, and through the second man, the perfect man, he fulfills that. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And there, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. That's what you get when you accept Jesus Christ. You become new, a new creation. You're not the same person. Uh, the law could never give you that. It was impossible for the law. But uh, as you are redeemed through Jesus Christ, that's how you are changed. And so the new covenant of Jesus Christ ends up fulfilling the old covenant in ways that even the old-time Jews could never express. It is the greatest hope of God, uh, and it exceeds our own expectations. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Nobody can conceive, really, of what God has prepared for you uh, as someone in the body of Christ. And all this comes about because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, effectively the new covenant. Now, additionally, the new covenant fulfills the promise made to Abraham by God. Uh, where God promises to bless all nations and all people through Abraham. Now, how was he going to do that? He was going to do it because Jesus would be in the lineage of Abraham. Let's make no mistake about it. Yes, the Jewish people would do great things, but the real great things would come through Jesus Christ, through the lineage of Abraham. Uh, and if you have, we'll take a look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And this begins to give you an insight into Jesus in the Old Testament. It says there, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want you to focus on that last sentence. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He's speaking of Christ. That's who he's speaking of. He's not speaking there of Abraham. He's speaking of the lineage of Abraham, uh, who will be Jesus Christ. 
And I want to say something there also about what I uh, talked about last week about those people that speak ill of Israel. Uh, look at verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I'm speaking there about the Jewish people. Uh, so make no mistake about it. God really covets his people. Yes, he's very disappointed that they have not accepted Christ. But they'll have another chance at the end of time when Jesus comes back. And there will be a remnant. And Israel will become great evangelists of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. But you see that. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Uh, I would say be very forewarned about speaking evil of Israel. Very forewarned. Now this was a promise that was made from the beginning of time in Genesis. And it was shrouded in mystery uh, until the New Testament. Nobody really understood what that meant. Uh, I will bless the blessings on all people on earth. They didn't understand that. Uh, and then Paul put it well in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, where he said the mystery, this is the mystery, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. That's the mystery that when he said, I will bless all people, that, that the Gentiles would now be attached uh, along with Jews to the body of Christ. Just as the Jews were meant to be a part of the body of Christ, we would also be there. And so now we would be fellow heirs along with the chosen people. You would be equally chosen with the Jewish people. Thus, the mystery is not mysterious any longer. Uh, it was just a secret hidden in ages past until God chose to reveal it through Christ. Uh, and, and this is now made possible because believing Jews, meaning Jews who believe in Christ, and believing Gentiles are in one body, the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we are joined together. This would have been a revolutionary concept uh, if you were a first century Jew. Now, as it is true that all covenants began with Abraham, God establishes the new covenant with Israel, thus guaranteeing the very permanency of the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. It will remain forever. Jerusalem will be, remain forever. When Christ comes back the second time, he will uh, effectively be empowered in Jerusalem. And so all of God's covenants and promises constitute a thread running through the scriptures. Uh, and God's salvation history, beginning with the Garden of Eden, will continue right through Jesus Christ. Uh, effectively at the fulfillment uh, of all of the messianic promises, and we're going to go through all of them, and there are many, Jesus achieves in himself the essence of the covenant principle. And this is the covenant principle said by God to the Jewish people. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. In this single person, through that single person of Jesus Christ, all of God's promises and covenants are fulfilled. And so as we continue to dive into the Old Testament, we find that Jesus is the key that unlocks all of the mysteries that we find 
in the Old Testament. It is not hyperbole at all to say that all scripture centers on the life of a person of Christ. All of it. Uh, we must get to know God through Jesus Christ. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Uh, and I would say this, that you need to, to understand one of the most important verses in the Bible, John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, No man cometh to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. You know, when you cite that verse to somebody and they'll say, you know, you're, you're awfully hypocritical. Uh, how can you say something like that? How can you eliminate all these other good people? And your answer has to be, oh, I didn't say it. Jesus, God himself, said it. And so when you cite Christ as the exemplar, it's pretty hard to undercut it. That's what Jesus said. No man cometh to the Father. Uh, Paul clarified that statement even further, which I love this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a way to live, isn't it? I, don't, I, I really didn't want to know anything. I wasn't interested in anything. I wasn't interested in discussing current events. All I wanted to talk about was Jesus Christ. You know, I had a grandfather that was like that. He was a missionary and a founder of a church, a great guy, uh, tremendous uh, speaker. He was only five feet tall, five feet tall, but he had an incredibly powerful voice. He went back into uh, Italy following World War II uh, and started about 50 churches uh, all through uh, Italy. Uh, and then... And uh, he lived until I was about 20 years old. And uh, whenever I would come in co contact with him, he had no interest in discussing sports, my life, anything in the world except the Bible. It was a little annoying. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a 20-year-old kid. You know, the guy's your grandfather. You would like him to have some interest in what No, no. All he cared about was Christ. In fact, he would say to me on a regular basis, he would call me Jim. Hey, Jim, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, for we know that all things work to No, Ephesians 2.10. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he hath before ordained. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he hath before ordained. He drilled it into my heart. And that's the nature of what you've been created for. You see, that's the kind of life you want to lead. Now, he may be out there on the, an outlier on that, all right? Uh, but that's how you want to live your life. So that when you really, when you speak to your spouse or you speak to your children, you are the embodiment of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and you can imagine what it had to be like if you were walking around with Paul. I'm sure it was the same way. Well, that's how I... I would aspire to be as well. Now, there are obvious portraits in the Bible, uh, in Scripture, in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. And we're going to begin to look at some of these. The first portrait is of Noah's Ark. You may not have thought about this. 
but the Noah's Ark is effectively a portrait of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a symbol. Uh, here you see in the Ark, we, we climb into the Ark, escaping the floodwaters that will destroy the world. It is God's judgment. You climb into the Ark to escape the judgment of God. And the judgment of God for mankind is sin, and sin will be destroyed. Uh, the flood was God's ordained judgment on mankind due to sinfulness. It's that simple. God saw what the creation had become. He repudiated it, and, and he sentenced it to a flood. Uh, the event really happened. The flood happened. Uh, even geologists and archaeologists now will confirm that there was a flood. It may not have been over the entire world, but it was certainly over the Mediterranean era, uh, and it was administered by God. Now take a look if you want confirmation, because I think it's always good to see what the first century saints said about some of these events. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. This is Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. But they deliberately forget, I'm speaking now about the Jewish people, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's words, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What that means is this, that God said that although he destroyed the world with water and flooding, the next time he would not do it, he would do it by fire. Uh, and so you see it there, an acknowledgement that that's exactly what happened, uh, that the ark was God's method methodology of saving us. The ark is a portrait of Christ, uh, and God provided an escape for the righteous. Well, the only righteous people were Noah and his family. Uh, and so he has provided effectively today uh, a way for all who believe in him to be saved also from all present judgment and future judgments, and that is Jesus Christ. Like the ark, like the ark, faith in Jesus is the one and only remedy that will hold up on the day of judgment. So there you have it. There is an example of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, in addition to what we have discussed, sometimes God has, has worked out in biblical history uh, a methodology to show us a specific picture of Jesus Christ. You'll see this in the picture of the Passover lamb uh, in Exodus chapter 12. And, and this becomes important because you know that as God descended through the plagues on, on Egypt, as he determined that Egypt would have to be brought to their knees, uh, and the death angel was unleashed on Egypt, uh, the Jewish people were told to take a lamb, a perfect, unblemished lamb, uh, to sacrifice that lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and put it on their doorposts. And if they did that, the angel of God would bypass their home and they would not suffer death. And yet all the rest of the firstborn in Egypt, including uh, animals and people, including the uh, son of Pharaoh, all would suffer uh, death. 
Uh, and so this becomes an important thing to see. Let's take a look at, at how God talked about that. Look at, if you would, uh, uh, in uh, number, Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. Look at uh, verses 11 to 12. This is a direction by God to the Jewish people on how to celebrate the Passover. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 9, Tell the Israelites, when any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They are to celebrate it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. And by the way, that's April, and it's the very day that Jesus went to the cross. How about that? They are to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. Don't break any of its bones. Now, why is that critical? It's critical because when Jesus went as the perfect Lamb of God, effectively the, uh, the human measurement of the Passover, no longer by a, a lamb, but the actual Lamb of God, and he went to the cross, not one bone of his body was broken. That's extraordinary when you realize what, what crucifixion was like, where part of the crucifixion experience was that the Roman soldiers would break their bones because a broken bone would hasten death. But as the Roman soldier went to break the bone of Jesus, Jesus expired. And so they never broke his bones. And so there you see a prophecy of God indicating, really indicating the picture of Jesus. There it is, the very picture of the Passover, the Passover lamb being effectively, the picture of Christ on the cross. Uh, and, you know, it's amazing, as I studied this, uh, and, and I pulled up some Jewish documents on this, because I felt it would, I'd like to get an insight into how Jews believe on this. And it's interesting, because, you know, Jews believe that uh, the blood over the portal was not effectively the representation of Christ, but the blood of Isaac blood of Isaac. First of all, Isaac didn't die, right? Let's start with that. He didn't die. Secondly, do you think any human being ultimately is going to save you from death? Come on. Only the blood of Christ himself. But it's interesting when they choose the lamb, how, how careful they were instructed uh, not to look for any blemish on the lamb. That lamb had to be perfect. In every way, the Torah instructs them that the lamb must be checked for blemishes. Only a perfect, spotless, and unblemished lamb would suffice for the Passover. How about that? All right? That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. Uh, and that's the reference right there from the beginning of time that Christ is in the Old Testament. Uh, and so in the Gospels, Jesus goes to the temple to teach. While he is there, he is approached by the Pharisees the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the teachers of the Torah. They're all there trying to tempt him. 
Uh, and to poke at him, each various group poses difficult questions, trying to trap Jesus into words. Essentially, they are looking for any blemish, theological or Jewish uh, or otherwise, which might disqualify him as the Messiah. Matthew 22 preserves the narrative on these texts, uh, and it says he meets, meets with each question soundly, uh, and no one can find any fault. He is perfect. He is your God. He is your Passover lamb. He is your Savior. That's right there in the beginning of time, right there as God takes them out of Egypt. That is the picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is there in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, it's not just there as we begin to study this. Uh, uh, look also uh, at Genesis 22. Take a look at Genesis 22. And, and this is Abraham. And so Abraham is instructed to sacrifice Isaac, the son that he has waited his whole life for. He's, he was 100 years old when this boy is born. How's that? He was 100 years old. His wife is 90. How about that? Some of you are married to women that are approaching that age, I would say. Miracles are possible. All right? Uh, and so, I, don't laugh too hard. Uh, you know, the, the theologians speculate on this, that when, when Sarah was 90 and God effectively reinvigorated her uterus and made her able to conceive Isaac, they believe that God also made her youthful, made her youthful because shortly thereafter, before she bore Isaac, uh, he goes down uh, into the area with the Philistines, and the Philistine king is taken with her and takes her as his wife. Well, do I have to say anything more about that? Because <laughs> I may get myself in trouble. But obviously, it was not a typical 90-year-old woman uh, that he was looking at. Uh, and so look at this, these sets of verses here. As, as uh, Abraham is instructed to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, look, let's start with verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and sat, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, notice that, the third day. The third day. That's not, that's not by accident. Uh, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. <clears throat> Uh, and and uh, that God had told him about. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Placing the wood on his son Isaac effectively is symbolic of what Jesus would suffer in crucifixion. Uh, he then himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh, how poignant is this? Uh, and, and, and he says, Abraham answers in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide 
the lamb for the burnt offering. And about 3,000 years later, God did provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You see, God provided the lamb. Uh, and in the prophetic words out of the mouth of Abraham, uh, we see the picture of Christ. We see it. And then when they had reached the place God had told them about, verse 9, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar. Uh, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Um, do not. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and that became the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. What a mighty picture that is, uh, effectively, of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so when I tell you that Christ is all through the Old Testament and the scriptures. This, this is going to happen on and on and on. You're going to see it. When Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, I'm sure he brought this up. I'm sure he brought this up. Take a look also, if you would, at Numbers chapter 21. Another example. Numbers 21. Verse 6. Now let me lay this out for you. Here the, the Jewish people are traversing after they've been in Egypt, uh, and now they're murmuring. Oh, that's a shock. They're complaining. They're whining. Okay? They're whining. Uh, how, how could you do this, Moses? What did you do to us? Uh, and so God punished them. God punished them. Uh, and and they, they uh, look, well, take a look at uh, Numbers 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Eden, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest the miserable food. There it is. All right? No bread, no water, and the food stinks. All right? They forgot the beatings of Egypt. They forgot working in the brick pats. Okay? They forgot all. How, how soon we forget, right? How soon? God had delivered them. How soon we forget. Uh, and so what happens then? And the Lord sent venomous snakes. Don't trifle with God. Don't trifle with God. God sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many died. How about that? They died. That's what happened. That was the judgment of God. Uh, and so the people then came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. What a great man Moses is. You know, honestly, if I were there, I would have said, Good! Good! You come to me now? After you maligned me and you maligned God? Good! You should die. But God knew that's why he didn't make me Moses. <laughs> There'd be a very small group of people. Uh, and so continuing on in verse 8, that the Lord said to Moses, and, and notice this. This is now a portrait of Christ to come. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, it looked at the bronze snake he lived. You will not get a better picture of Christ on the cross. Take a bronze snake, take something that's really hideous, and put it on a pole and tell the people to look up at that. And looking at that image, accepting that image, that image would cure them. They would not die. That is a picture of Jesus. He was effectively there. This is a powerful picture of what God has done uh, uh, in, in, in saving the Jewish people and giving them a picture of the bronze snake. I'm certain, absolutely certain, that uh, Jesus mentioned this on the road to Emmaus. I'm sure he did. Because the hideous aspect of being put on a pole, being put on a cross, and then suffering crucifixion in the most ignominious way, yet that picture is ultimately what would save us. Uh, and so the doctrine of the Lamb, and it's all part of the doctrine of the Lamb, is an outstanding example of the progression uh, in the Old Testament and is the very type of thing that Jesus would have said uh, on the road to Emmaus. There are ten passages in the Bible in which the Lamb is conspicuously mentioned. One of the first is in Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 3 to 7, which relates the story of Cain offering God the fruit of the ground, while Abel offers him the firstborn <coughs> of the flock. Cain's offering is beautiful, but it is bloodless. Uh, yet God rejects it and accepts Abel. Why did God reject Cain's? Because Cain's sacrifice did not contain blood, whereas Abel's contained blood. And God wanted to demonstrate right from the beginning of time that it is the blood of the sacrifice that will save you. And that's why he rejected uh, Cain. It demonstrates the very necessity, you see, of the lamb. Uh, the next passage we talked about where Abraham, uh, after God releases him from the command to sacrifice Isaac, immediately sees a ram in the, t in the thicket. Here the emphasis shifts again uh, from the necessity of the lamb to God's provision. God will provide. God will give it to us. And the provision that God gave uh, is the ram. The ultimate sacrifice for us is provided by God. It is Jesus Christ demonstrated here in the Old Testament. Uh, and then Exodus chapter 4, the Passover, where God tells his people to take the blood of the lamb and put it over your door. Uh, and there, when you do that, you will be saved. Again, you will be saved. It is the blood of the lamb that will save you from the beginning of time, demonstrating this is about Christ, Christ on a cross. Uh, and we spoke about this. Uh, the perfect lamb without blemish, only one, only one in the history of humanity would be perfect. And its blood, would, his blood would save us. And so uh, when we look to the book of Le Leviticus, which becomes a, a manual on how to do sacrifices, it instructs in so many ways on how to administer sacrifices. Uh, throughout the book, the character of the lamb is discussed uh, where it is stated some 20 times. 20 times, that the offering must be without blemish. Without blemish. 
There can be no other offering to God that is blemished. Only a perfect offering without any blemish can be the, the offering that will save us. There's only one. There's only one. And it's right there uh, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 uh, is one of the most famous messianic prophecies in the Bible. And this is written now some 750 years before Christ would be born. Look at, look at Isaiah 53, uh, verses 6 to 8. Uh, and I had a devout Jew that I knew as a lawyer, uh, and he would like to discuss the Bible with me. And, and uh, inevitably, I would say to him, Ira, uh, what do you think about Isaiah 53? Oh, well, our rabbis tell us we're not supposed to read that. I'm not to read anything that could distract me or take me away from my faith. Are you kidding me? You have chosen a chapter in the Bible, in your Bible, and you've been instructed not to read it. I mean, did you see how Satan works? You know, we're, we're, we're preaching on a, a series in church right now, spiritual warfare. That's what spiritual warfare is, that God works on you, uh, Satan works on you in such a way that you, that you do things that will occlude your ability to serve God. No, we can't read that. Well, look at it. Read, look at this. It's, it's so poignant and prophetic. Uh, it begins with verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There it is, starting right there, the picture of Christ. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Christ. The iniquity of every human being has been laid on Jesus Christ, right there in the Old Testament. He was oppressed. Who are you talking about? Christ. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. There's nobody in Scripture all right? This is 750 years before Christ would, would be born. There's nobody else in Scripture that this speaks of. This is about Jesus, 750 years down the road, who would become the very messenger of salvation. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And you know the, the, the provisions. You've read the New Testament, how Jesus allowed himself to be taken captivity how he went through several trials, didn't ever in any way defend himself, was ultimately put on the cross, and yet you know that Christ could have called down 10 battalions of angels and wiped out the entire Roman army and, and those Jewish people that were willing to put him on the cross, yet he willingly went to the cross. This is your lamb, and here it is in Scripture. You want a portrait of Christ, Jesus in the Old Testament? It's all about him. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He said nothing, nothing to defend himself. Really. I mean, it's an incredible picture uh, of what God told the Jewish people to expect. And so here they are, 750 years before, they're given this portrait, and yet they blindly don't see the reality of Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 8, by oppression, 
and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Oh my God, what verses. He was punished for the transgression of my people. There's no other man, no other being that this speaks about. Uh, and so we learn here that the lamb that God provides is a person. Make no mistake about it. This is the pure indication of, the, of this verse. Look, Moving on uh, to the New Testament, look at John 1.21, where John the Baptist recognizes Jesus coming to be baptized. And what does he say there? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And so here you see John the Baptist, the link from the old to the new, all right, uh, who Jesus said there was no greater man ever born of woman. There he is looking at Christ before Christ really started his ministry. It says, behold the Lamb of God. It goes back to the Passover. It goes back to Genesis. It goes back to Isaiah. All through the Old Testament. It's Jesus, 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 the perfect Lamb of God. Amen. Really, it's so powerful, it's almost impossible to, to speak the words. Uh, in the first epistle of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, he speaks again about Christ. And he says that, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, blemish or defect. Again, it's all about the blood. You cannot be saved without the blood, and the only blood that you can be saved by is the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect once and for always uh, sacrifice. He was chosen before the creation of the world, and I love that. Before the world was created, he was chosen by God to be the Lamb of God. Can you imagine God is sitting there, the triune God is sitting there, knowing that this creation that he will put out will fail, that the law uh, will not be listened to, that it will not be abided by, that it will be broken, and yet he knew that the, this creation needed a savior, and Jesus volunteered to be that savior. He took that role. That's extraordinary, honestly, to think that God would do that. As I said to you last week, it's like looking at an ant colony. And you say, oh, you know, I love those ants. I'm going to become an ant. I'm going to let those ants sacrifice me because I want them to have eternal life. Are you kidding me? But that's exactly what went on. That's what God did for us. Uh, he was chosen for before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Look, 
This was an important message that the Jewish people had to hear. You are saved by the blood. You've had no problem over the past several thousand years taking an animal sacrifice. Now you realize that God has taken that animal and effectively created him into a human being and a human being who is God himself, Jesus Christ, who will die on the cross, who will be sacrificed for your sins. Uh, and so you see this. Christ foreknown before the foundation of the world. The very foreknowledge of God. What an incredible picture. So I want you to get this sense as we're going to really spend uh, the next 10 weeks digging deep on this in every way. Understanding that the scripture is all about Jesus from the beginning to the end. And you will really, this will be confirmed in your heart. You will understand this. And what's so sad about this is that the Jewish people never got it. They never got it. They, oh, we are the people of the law. Oh, we have the law. Yes, and we violate it every hour of the day. All right? It's not saving anyone, but only through Jesus Christ. Isaiah told you to expect him. Genesis told you there would be a sacrifice. Genesis told you that there would be a Passover sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross on the, on the, effectively the day of atonement, on the Passover, at the very time the Jewish people were given their very first Passover. How about that? God ties it into a bow. In Revelation 5, we see the enthronement of the Lamb in heaven. The Lamb is now enthroned in heaven. Look at Revelation 5, verse 6. Then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain. It was slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What a picture this is. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That is your Savior. He is now sitting at the right hand of God himself. He sits there and prays for you. He died for you uh, in every way. He went to the cross because he had your name in his hand. You are saved and will have an eternal life by no other than Jesus Christ. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Period. End of sentence. End of discussion. There's nothing else to talk about. Is there? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the words that you've given us, for this portrait of Christ right through the Bible. Lord, let this be resonating in our lives as we come to recognize that from the beginning of time, you determined that Christ would be our Savior. Help us to give this message to a lost world. Give us the strength, Lord, to leave here and to go out to the parking lots, to go out to the world and to deliver this message to people who desperately need to hear it. Lord, be with our men, protect them, lift them up, and give them the strength to utter this truth to a lost world. We, Lord, bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your world. word. As we put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you.